Hi, I'm Deborah Hamilton. Welcome to my podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? Ten years ago, with my iPhone and a script, I recorded the first episode of the Ultimate Pet Resolution Summit, which chatted with experts about conflicts over animals. Our conversations were intimate, honest, and illustrated how disagreements over animals occur and how those disagreements can reshape people's lives and relationships. In November 2019, I started Why Do Pets Matter, a new podcast that continued these informative discussions. I'm so excited to have you here with me, continuing my exploration into a more meaningful conversation about why pets matter to all of us. My guests and I will share ideas, stories, and experiences straight from the heart, unscripted and holistic. From the bravest moments to the most brokenhearted, we will explore how to resolve disagreements over animals differently. One thing I know for sure is I want to have more meaningful conversations that will help all of us unlock that deeply felt human-animal bond that drives the emotions of conflict. Hi, it's Deborah Hamilton, and today we're going to hear from Dr. Renee Alsaraf. She is an oncologist, and she just wrote a fabulous book, which is Sit, Stay, Heal, What Dogs Can Teach Us About Living Well. We had a great conversation about how dogs in our life make our lives better. We all know that, the human-animal bond, but she particularly pulls out thoughts and ideas as pet owners navigating um, their own cancer because she's a cancer survivor, as well as the cancer that they are navigating with their pets. So let's hear what Renee has to say. Hi, everyone, Deborah Hamilton. And today I'm with the wonderful Dr. Renee Alsaraf, who is an oncologist veterinarian, as well as an author of the wonderful book, Sit, Stay, Heal, What Dogs Can Teach Us About Living Well. She is, we had a conversation yesterday and she is just a delight. So Renee, thank you so much for being here today on Why Do Pets Matter? Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Well, we are so glad you're here because of course, many of the people who are listening to this podcast want to know about your life. Um, but as we always start with the first question, uh, you have to tell us why do pets matter to you? Oh, well, I don't think we have enough time. <laughs> I know, right? That's what everybody says. They are everything. They make our world, our lives so much better. They, as people, when they read the book, will see that they teach us so many incredible life lessons. And not, not to start with a sad topic, but I was talking my son through the loss of our dog, and, and I talk about sort of signs to look for and things in the book. And one of the things I told him is we all want our dogs to live longer. And, and sadly, their lifespan just isn't what we wished it would be. But I do believe that each dog is placed in our life at just the right time, at just the right moment to teach us something that maybe we didn't even realize we needed to learn. And that is why dogs are so important. I know it's, you know, it's really interesting you say that because when I talk to my kids and we've had many dogs in our lives uh, and I always say to them, very lucky that their mother loves dogs. Uh, we now have a cat in our lives. So for all of you who have cats, we love cats too. We are, we are equal opportunity lovers. I, I always tell my sons the, the most difficult thing about um, having a dog is is knowing that its its lifespan is not as long as yours, um, and you might lose it. However, when it leaves, 
it leaves that hole in your heart. Uh, however, when the next pet, if you choose to get another pet come, the adventure begins again and it's different. Every single pet brings something different. I loved when you said, you know, it comes at the right time for the right reason to teach you something. That is so true because each and every dog that comes into our lives, um, some of them are naughty, some of them are wonderful. Uh, I had someone who actually got a golden retriever from a friend of mine and she'd always had rescue dogs. And the first thing she said when she came and got this golden retriever who was about 18 months old, uh, she said, will he bite me? And I said, uh, yeah, no. I said, not this one. I said, some other dogs might, but not this one. So. You know, dogs are so important to you. How did you find your your niche or your trajectory into veterinary medicine? I have wanted to be a veterinarian since the age of seven, and I have never wavered. And there were so many naysayers, including my own parents, especially my father, who said, oh my goodness, it's so much harder to get into veterinary school. Or why would you want to be a veterinarian? You won't make as much as a human doctor. You can just have a lot of pets. It never swayed me, not once. I never thought about any of it. It, it was really a calling. I just knew that's what I had to do. And I started in uh, doing competing in dog obedience at, oh my goodness, probably age 15 and just fell in love with it, fell in love with the boxer breed and sort of everything snowballed in a good way from then, from then on. Tell me a little bit about the boxer breed because we have yet to have someone on who's had a boxer and I know oh. they are really interesting, fabulous dogs and a great breed. I'm, I'm a purebred uh, dog preservationist breeder. So I know that there are many dogs that need to be adopted and, and you can go to boxer rescue and rescue mm -hmm. a boxer. I always tell people, you know, you don't necessarily can't get a dog that you want if you go to the rescues that, you know, facilitate the ability to get boxers or Irish setters or dachshunds. You can, you can actually get the dog you want and rescue. So you can be two, two times as well off as you would have been. Absolutely. And I do think there is great value for families that love that mixed breed dog. That is great. Um, but I think there is incredible value for that family that that knows what they really want in a breed and can find that. It's a it's a great fit for me. I've had boxers for 40 some years, done lots of obedience, um, you know, yeah, one kind of national dogs. Yeah. One, yeah, they're great, right? Actually, I think they prefer agility just because they get to be a little goofier, but um, you know, one national champion um in confirmation. But in, in fact, the current one that we have right now was a COVID rescue. She was four and a half and she, it's actually my first female. And, and as I say, she's, she made it in the book. Um, we sort of, in a sense, found each other here. She had had a couple of litters, was spayed. I learned something terrible that I didn't know that in a lot of shelters, the females that have been breeding bitches get overlooked because they have such pendulous mammae that people don't want them. And it just made me love her all the same. And she was already four and a half. So she's a little gray around the muzzle. And as a boxer already has wrinkles and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I hope I don't look too much like the breed that I love so much. I love a working breed. I love a bit of a challenge. They are incredibly loyal and steadfast. 
they are not for everyone because they require a, a true alpha in, in the house, someone who's going to challenge channel their energy. Once that's channeled, they are the most incredible dog. They love children. They are not the type of person of dog to bark at a squirrel. Um, they will bark at someone at your door or or something like that. And, and they can be very formidable. They can be scary. Um, but they're really smart, which which again requires an uh, a pet parent who's on top of things. I love that you describe that because a lot of the listeners don't know a lot about the personalities of a purebred dog. And you're absolutely right. Rescuing is wonderful. And um, if you have the time and the patience and, and get the uh, DNA rundown, so you know what you've got in that mix, fabulous. However, if you really want to try to make sure you get the kind of dog. So I loved when you said you've had them forever. I've had Irish setters forever. And if one more person walks up to me and says, oh, I haven't seen them in a really long time. And the last one I saw was in the seventies and he was really crazy. You know, I should have a dollar for every time someone says an Irish setter is crazy. Uh, my Irish setters, my husband would tell you are, are crazy. I would tell you uh, that they are the most normal dogs in the entire world because they think for themselves. Uh, where a golden retriever and maybe some of the other setters would, you know, say, okay, I'll do it because you want me to do it. The Irish setter says, what's in it for me? You know, he's Irish. Yeah. What do you yeah. think? What's yeah. in it for me? Is there something in it for me? Yeah. And they make phenomenal. You said before, he, he loves agility more than um, obedience. Irish setters do so well in agility. And they're one of those breeds that run around agility, barking the entire time. Oh, they do great. it, but they bark that's, the entire time. Right. I apologize. I apologize. There's no Irish setter in my book, but there are. So every the next book. Yeah, exactly. Every chapter is about a different patient of mine. So it, there are true stories and sort of life lessons that the family learned from their dog or that I learned. If for your listeners, there's boxer lovers, there are two boxers um, in the book. So it, it is a nice nod to that breed. So I have to say, it's amazing that you didn't, your paths didn't cross with Irish setters because unfortunately Irish setters are one of those breeds who get osteosarcoma. Um, and, you know, I think every female gets mammary cancer, but maybe not as prolific in Irish setters. Uh, but we have, we have huge um, uh, osteosarcoma in our breed. In fact, we're part of a study uh, under the AKC Canine Health Foundation because of that. Um, but you've definitely dealt with pets and people. And so in your book, you write about the stories, but what is one or two of the takeaways that you found in almost every situation that you came upon? Any commonality that you found? A tremendous amount. I think the overriding theme or the overriding lesson is that dogs are not just incredible support, but they are fantastic guides for any of us when we're struggling. And we all struggle at times. And the book gives the reader a front row seat to the human-animal bond and the enormous power it plays in our lives. You know, every story has different messages. And, and while I am an oncologist, so having that, as I like to say, the C word as the underlying uh, tale can be a little bit scary. Um, that's just in the background, right? Some of the stories, many of the stories are so heartwarming, 
Some are funny. Some will bring a tear to your eye. But uh, someone recently read it and she has a five-year-old Westie named Oscar who's completely healthy. And she said, you know, after I read your book, I felt that I was a better pet parent. I felt that I was a better person and I felt happier. And I would love it for the book to go and do good in the world like that. You know, when you tell people stories as they're going through life-changing circumstances as they do, uh, it really does speak to um, the, as you put it, the fantastic guides that pets are. They really, and I, th I think you can share with us some fantastic journeys that were taken uh, where the pet parents were actually cared for by the pet as opposed to the other way around, while the pet parents were navigating trying to save the pet's life. So true. And, you know, and, and I've met some people who initially thought that this book, Sit, Stay, Heal, was about us caring for dogs. And it's really the exact opposite. It is how dogs care for us. And even though we are responsible for them, they think they are 100% responsible for us. And certainly I know my life is so much better because of them. You know, it's it's so funny. I was at the Animal Medical Center with my, my dog, Daisy, whose uh, femur had broken from osteosarcoma. And I, you know, when Irish setters, we know this and, you know, they usually take the leg. And I had sworn from day one, when I had seen the first two or three dogs walking around without a leg, I would never do that because that would be more about me. And this is personal. So everybody can do what they want to do. Don't think that I'm saying, oh no, don't cut their leg off. Everybody can do what they want to do. And they've made great steps um, with the different oncologies and immunotherapies now that it isn't you know, cut the leg off, live a year. Most of the time it, it can actually be longer. Uh, but I had thought, no, I'm not going to do that. And I will never forget that Daisy came home and my vet was there. We were going to, you know, transition her as I always say. And, uh, she was laying on the puppy cup. She was had a little fentanyl. Uh, thank you. The animal medical center, uh, for putting the fentanyl patch on her. And she was feeling, you know, not so much pain. So she got up, hopped, over to the sunny spot that she always slept in in the dining room and said, I wish you two would stop like sobbing and talking about me and all this shit. Just let me go. I mean, it's time if you guys don't have, and, and I'm sure in your, in your travels and in your experience, the dogs do sort of give you permission to let them go. Absolutely. 100%. And for the listeners, you don't even have to believe us because you will experience it for yourself. In the book, I actually go through a list sort of of questions to ask yourself. And there isn't any magic number where you have to be say yes to five of them and no to some of them, but it's just enough to get you to really think um, because it's so hard when our emotions are involved. Um, but because you love your dog so much and you know your dog better than anyone, they will have their own way of letting you know, and it'll be okay. And, and the last thing any of us ever want is to have regrets, right? And 
I, I counsel a lot of people and I say, we all want to make that decision on just the right day. We certainly don't want to make that decision one day too late. We also don't want to make that decision one day too early. But sometimes if we just take a deep breath and sit a moment, it'll come to you and, and, and it'll be okay. That is so, so wonderful. And when I went to pick my dog up from the animal medical center before she had surgery and took her home, the vet there whose name escapes me, but he was a wonderful guy. He turned to me and he said the most kind and wonderful thing um, that I've ever heard. I've been through this a few times, so I can tell you that it's not easy to talk to a vet about cancer. I'm sure you know it's not easy to talk to people whose dogs have cancer. Uh, but this this oncologist, vet oncologist, he was lovely, and he said, "Well, uh, you're absolutely right to do what's best for you and for Daisy because the Daisy you brought in will not be the Daisy you take home if we remove her leg. Right now, you're taking home the Daisy you brought in." And I thought that was the most human way to help me um, do what I thought was best for her as opposed to do what medicine might've thought was best for her. Uh, and, and I just, I always remembered that. I wrote him a huge note and said, thank you so much because you made my decision, my decision. And I think for all of us here, it always is our decision the next steps we take with our pets to take the best care of them. Uh, my mantra always is, it's always about the dog, not about me. Because if I could have kept Daisy for another 10 years, I would have done whatever it took to take, you know, to do it. But what would her quality of life have been? And I didn't know. So I said, you know, her quality of life now is she's happy. She's go lucky. She knows nothing. As you said, they know nothing about this cancer. They're sort of wondering why they're going through all of this and and you know the owners are doing what they can to make them feel better but the pets really are right there in the moment they're with you glad to be there with you like meeting all the new people um and really making the effort a little it, it maybe easier isn't the best word uh but less traumatic because and, and correct me if i'm wrong most dogs don't have these huge reactions to the chemotherapy or, you know, they have, when they have their leg amputated, that's a huge, you know, adjustment. But from what I understand, it's sort of like, oh, okay, I have three legs. I'm going on. And it's not a big deal. I think you hit the nail on the head. That's one of the other lessons in the book is that they practice mindfulness, right? Some of us ladies go away to a spa with a girlfriend for a long weekend. And I know I might come back and I think, my life is going to be different. I'm going to be more mindful. It'll be happier. And by Tuesday, that's really out the window. Um, and yet dogs are mirroring that for us every day of the week. I know that I have used dogs, my patients and my own dog as my guide, right? And, and in the book, I talk about struggle that I went through and, and they were my recovery role models because they don't bring the same negative emotion that we do to things. And, and all that does is serve to bring us down the what ifs. And I can fret with the best of them, but the how will I look? Will I lose my hair? What will people think? Dogs don't think that. They're like, oh boy, I hope she gives me a biscuit when we're done here. And, you know, a person after they get chemotherapy think, 
thinks, oh my goodness, it took the nurse three tries to hit my vein. What's going to happen the next time? Dogs hop off the table. They literally want their little treat and they're happy to go on their way for the most part. Living in the moment, being happy just that the sun comes up every day. You know, so many of us that have had the C word, my term, how's that for dysfunction, right? Veterinary oncologist can't say the stupid word. People struggle to stay alive. And yet when they do, and, and I am one of them, I'm lamenting, oh my goodness, I put on some weight or my hair is thinner or whatever. I'm not enjoying and embracing what I fought for. There is a bloodhound uh, in one of the chapters and she's a search and rescue. So she came alongside her partner, you know, a police officer. And, and one of their, one of their lessons is that um, what the two accomplish together is greater than the sum of their two individual parts. And despite her getting chemotherapy, actually her prognosis was only about three months and it's been six years and she's alive. And that girlfriend gained 50 pounds from the beginning of treatment to now. She is tipping the scales at 121 pounds. Um, she started in the seventies and she's happy. She doesn't lament thinking I got, I went up a few dress sizes or collar, collar notches, right? Um, she's happy drool and as she lumbers along and we often aren't, but what a waste. You know, it's so great that you wrote these stories so that people can identify with maybe something they've lived through or either themselves or their pet. The other piece that I'm sure um, helped you in your journey was that, you know, when I talk about my map plan and making a plan for your pets when you're when you're ill, knowing that those pets are there while you're going through this, even though you might not necessarily feel up to taking care of them, finding someone to take care of them for you while you're, you know, praying to the porcelain goddess, as we say, that love and affection in your bed with you, making you get up, making you um, smile with their antics, when you're going through such a life-changing event, having them there with you is so very important. Um, and I'm sure that when you were traveling that road, that that was something with your boxer that made every day worthwhile opening up and, and trying to mimic their live, you know, seize the day, carpe diem. Correct. And, you know, I was wearing the same pajamas for four days straight and I had straggly, thin chemo hair plastered to my head. But my boxer looked at me with his adoring, loving eyes and he saw me. I, I do believe dogs possess this magical quality where they can they can see us far better than any other person can see or know us. And just having him there made me feel whole, made me feel seen, and gave me strength to fight because he saw me for me. It, it was just I'm so grateful. You didn't have to put on any mask for him either when you felt like exactly you correct. Tell him, you know, today I feel like shit. And he'd look at you probably and say, yeah, yep. But you look pretty good for feeling like shit. Yes. Yes, exactly. Correct. But I still love you. It's all good. I still love you and I don't care. Oh. And and I'm hoping you're getting well and I'm sending all good energy your way because yes. you're right. There's that worry and there's that tension that comes from family members who are worrying about you with all best intention. So no criticism of family members, but with all best intention, 
but because our pets love us the way we are and come to us with no, um, well, maybe some smaller dogs might have some predisposed desire to do things their own way, uh, bigger dogs a little less. We definitely find them to be there to help us navigate these adventures, good and bad, that we are living in life. Correct. And they meet us where we're at. You know, like you said, you don't have to put on a facade. We all have bad days sometimes. And it would probably be better if we reached out to a friend or a family member. And sometimes we can't even imagine doing it. Or maybe we're ashamed at something that happened at work or a misstep. But we're, we never have to be ashamed with, with our dog, right? They don't judge us another life lesson. Um, and then back to something you said, how they you know lay on you and they feel great. People spend good money on weighted blankets. It's the thing, right? But I know if I'm having a hard day, my uh, our boxers are not allowed up on the furniture, but sometimes <laughs> this girlfriend is having a hard day I have her come up and it is the best feeling. The other night, I even told my husband, just go on to bed. I'm good here in the chair for a while because it was so therapeutic and she loved it as much as I did, but it was healing for me. And, you know, mine snores when he's on, he never snores any other time. He snores when he's laying on me. But when I, you know, I'm old, so I have a lazy boy. So I'll own up to the fact that I have a lazy boy. And when I put the thing up, it's like, it's, it's, it's sort of like the cookie jar. So when I put the footrest up, he goes, that's my sign to come over, gently step on the lazy boy and then be mom's blanket. So he puts his head on my chest and he lays down the whole length of my um, my chest and becomes my blanket. And I have to say, I, I, I thought it was so funny that you said your, rec- your most recent boxer is a female and before that you only had males. And, and I'd like to share with all of our audience that most people think that the females are the ones everybody should get in. And if you speak with a breeder um, or someone who's had a breed for a long time, I always depict the the girls, which we call bitches, my apologies, but that's what we call them. Um, They let you love them. And if you tell them the code, go lay down, they will because, okay, fine. Go ahead. Be like that. The boys, they love you unconditionally. They have no independent thoughts of their own. And when you tell them to go lay down and let me know if yours were like this, they look at you with those eyes and say, I know you're only kidding. I'm going to stay right here. We could probably make a lot of jokes on that, but yes, there is a definite difference for females and males in any breed, but and I say that to me all the time. Go ahead. Yes. Sorry. I'm, I'm enjoying having a female. I really am. Oh, I, so, yes. so I've had males and females because I'm a breeder and I have a young girl who is here this uh, summer and she was such a delight because I've only had a boy now for like five years and she was such a delight and so different. So I, I, this has been such an incredible conversation and I want to make sure I caught some of the things that were so impactful and important that you mentioned to us, which is that dogs teach us things that we really need to know. We don't even know we need to know them. That was huge. And uh, they're fantastic guides, especially if they're taking the sea trip or if we're taking the sea trip. They are incredible guides and um, guardians of our hearts, I think, while we're going through it or while they're going through it, because they simply meet you with 100 percent 
every day, whether they're going through it or you're going through it. Uh, you know, it's a difficult conversation we're having today because anybody who's had a dog go through um, a cancer treatment, your heart is, uh, believe me, having had three of them go through it. Um, I understand better than many how hard it is to make the decision to go through chemotherapy or to make the decision not to go through chemotherapy and live with what, you know, because we can, so we can guilt ourselves at any level. And I'm sure that a lot of the people who you worked with had that moment, several moments where the guilt was killing them. However, I loved when you said, you did what was best for them. And you know you don't want it to be a day late, you don't want it to be a day early, but if you sit down and are mindful, you'll know when that absolute right day is. They, you know, it, it's so in the law, um, Justice Rehnquist, I, said, I think said, you know, I can't define it, but I know pornography when I see it. And so I always say to people, you will know when your dog is tired. And when your dog is saying transition now, Daisy did it with uh, my veterinarian said, I have never seen a dog be more clear about the fact that we need to let her go than Daisy just was to us. But they do, they, they let you know, and, and it'll never make your heart feel better ever, but it will give you that, that moment of peace that it was about them and not about you. Mm -hmm. And to do it, to be able to do it with peace and dignity and love is the most selfless gift you could ever give. And sometimes I'll get people in that say, oh my goodness, I'm never gonna get another dog again. I can't bear going through this. And thankfully after weeks or months, their heart has healed somewhat and they've changed their mind. And I just hope that the sad ending doesn't overshadow the 10 or 12 amazing years that they've had with their four-legged friend. You know, Renee, that is such an important piece to leave everyone with because it does take time to heal. It's not like, you know, we're saying advocating to go out and buy a dog the next day. If that's what you need to do because you miss them so much, have at it. But if you want to take your time, that's okay too. And, and also if the thought of losing another one is just so painful that you can't possibly, um, I understand. And I hope that the joy that they brought into your life will someday outweigh the pain of losing them because life is lived. I mean, spoken by someone who's had dogs and cats. So Life is lived so much more fully if you have one of those, you know, totally present, living the moment animal in your life, because maybe you can then sort of try to emulate them. Exactly. It's, it's amazing. So Renee, tell us where we can get the book. I know it's on Amazon and the title yeah. is Sit, Stay, Heal, What Dogs Can Teach Us About Living Well. Yes. Uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, anywhere books are sold, your indie bookstore. I hope it validates the human-animal bond. I hope it validates the grieving process. I hope it makes people a whole lot happier. And it understood. Yeah, yes. understood peace with decisions you may have made because they're hearing about stories that people have gone through that may somewhat parallel what they went through 
or somewhat parallel what they're going through now so that they they have a little peace and um, tranquility in their life that you do survive, you do come out the other end and um, whether or not you get another pet is something uh, new. I would love to have you back, Renee, because I know you also do a lot of work with palliative care um, mm -hmm. while the dogs are going through uh, chemotherapy. There's the new um, palliative care group that is helping owners, uh, along with their oncologists, uh, create um, this ability to care for your dog um, or cat or bird or horse in a way that uh, really honors your relationship with them and honors their sort of life force. I would love to have you back. Would that be something we could do? Absolutely. I'd love that. Thank you so much. Awesome. Well, this has been Renee Al-Saraf, and she's a doctor of veterinary medicine and a specialist in oncology. I'm so grateful you have been with us. And until next time, everyone, uh, uh, Renee's information will be in the show notes and the link to the book will be in the show notes. And until next time, kiss your dogs for me. And this is Deborah Hamilton. Why do pets matter? Join us next time. The Why Do Pets Matter podcast drops every Thursday and can be found on whichever platform you find your podcast. Subscribe now, invite your friends, and I cannot wait to have you join me in these conversations.